No man, uh, yeah, Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you that you have a plan, that you have a purpose. Lord, that uh, you have a kingdom and you have those in your kingdom. And Lord, I pray that tonight as you come and challenge us, that uh, we would look to you. We would look to you in your wonderful name. Amen. I'm so excited about that um, prophetic word that started because what actually Jesus was doing with Peter was he was actually challenging Peter's position. So he was saying, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, it's a given. I love you. No, no, no. I'm challenging your position. Do you love me? And so for those in the front row, you might notice I do have a bit of a blue eye. And um, it wasn't my wife. Um, but actually on the weekend, I was playing rugby. And I totally enjoy rugby. I think it's an incredibly godly sport. Um, and what actually happened in rugby, I want to use as an illustration for tonight. Because I feel tonight the Lord wants to challenge your position, Josh Jen. Not challenge to knock you over. When the Lord comes to test you, he comes to test you to see you pass. But he comes, and I almost feel, and there's this, this uh, statement that whenever you see anything Josh Jen, there's this little phrase, and the phrase says, dying to live. And it can almost become the church's slogan, dying to live. But tonight, I want to take that slogan as the most important thing that God has given us, actually, and I want to challenge your position on dying to live. And I want to use Jesus' first message that he preaches in Matthew 5 to challenge that. But what happened on the weekend was I'm a backline player, which basically means we like the big heavy guys in front to do all the hard work, and then they give us the ball, and we get to score tries and look good. And everybody's like, whoa, they're amazing. And what happened was one of the guys who plays, I play outside center, and so my guy playing inside center took the ball, and he got tackled. And what happens is when your teammate gets tackled, it's the closest guys to him's responsibility to secure the ball. But what happens is backline players don't really know how to do that. We, but we see it in practice. And in practice what happens is the big bulky forwards, they get over the ball and they protect it. And so that's what I did. I got over the ball to protect it. And I forgot that the rules of the game state that the other big bulky forwards, they want to take that ball away from you. And so they're allowed to run into you and challenge your position. And that's how I got a blue eye. I don't remember the details leading up to that. I just remember from that I was lying on my back and the coach said to me, Soti, you say, okay. <laughs> yeah, coach, I got hit in the head. He says, don't worry, there's no blood. You can play. And so tonight, I actually want to challenge your position. If the ball is this position of dying to live, I think some of us, we live with it as such a flippant saying that I think sometimes we're just standing over the ball all laxy-daisy, not expecting any opposition. And the first time you ask to die, you get knocked over and you're lying backwards going, what happened? Why is it so hard? Why is it so difficult? Because we can think that dying to live is, I gave my life to Jesus. That's that moment I died. Now I'm in the living part. There's no more dying. That's done with. And I want to show us through what Jesus teaches is, 
in this incredible passage called the Beatitudes. So we can go to Matthew 5, while I get water. But you all have an app, so you were there already as well. That's how it works now. And so Matthew 5, verse 3. And I want to show us something with these Beatitudes. I want to show us that actually what happens is these Beatitudes are given as an example. This is what the culture, this is what the character of the kingdom looks like. And what you'll see is that in our lives, we think we've checked these off once. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Yes, Lord, we all know that's me. Just remind the guys when they send the offering, poor in spirit is sitting over here. We can quote these. We can say these are what the Beatitudes are, but it's actually very significant because the Old Testament actually ends with a curse. Did you know that? Right at the end, it ends with a curse. And Jesus' ministry starts with blessed. And as a church tonight, the Lord has so much. There's this, this saying, this commissioning, this, I'm going to send you into the harvest. I'm going I'm to send you out. I want you to go. I want you to preach the word as you go. I'll heal you as I go. But I feel like before you go, the Lord is saying, I want to test your position on this. I want to, I want to challenge your position. And so what happens is, if the forwards don't look after the ball, the backs don't get to score tries. And so actually, we might say we're willing to go and be sent and do all these incredible things that the Lord has called us to. But if we are not dead, if we have not died, if we are not continually dying, actually what we're going out to reproduce after ourselves is dangerous. And so Matthew 5 verse 3, it starts with, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And do you know what I love about this? It's like an analogy of a ladder. The Lord is so good to us because the ladder starts at the bottom. And in worship tonight, the Lord started at the bottom. Because if the, if the first step was this high, my poor wifey wouldn't be able to climb. If the first step was blessed are the pure of heart, then nobody would be able to get into the kingdom. But right in the beginning, the Lord Jesus, he starts, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And I want to say tonight that actually, do we recognize that we are those who come completely poor in spirit? Utterly dependent on Jesus. Utterly dependent on what the Lord has done. That's not very challenging. Let me put it to you this way. How often do you think that you are the one who's going to bring the contribution? How often can we feel like, okay, I'm going to see someone, or I'm going to pray for this friend of mine, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. And the way we go is like, Jesus, I'm going to minister. Are you coming with? Really? Uh, Just me. I know that. I know it's just me. We start to, sometimes we believe that we have something to bring. But the beginning, right at the beginning, it's those who are down and out, who have absolutely nothing. The the blessed are the poor in spirit. This poor is not working class poor. This is not minimum wage poor. This poor that is speaking of is those who are utterly dependent on the generosity of another. Do you see your walk with Jesus as you are utterly dependent 
on the generosity of another. I've always, I like to, I think of myself as a Chinese engineer. What that means is you take something that's very good quality and you break it. And you find out how it works. And so whenever we've, I've, I've watched Andrew minister into other churches, I've seen Will minister into other churches, and I've, I've had the privilege of seeing these other guys minister into churches, one of the signs that they look for whenever they go into a church has always been worship. And I've always thought to myself, maybe it's because Will and Andrew are a little bit wild. Maybe they just enjoy a good party. But in actual fact, as I was reading this, I realized, and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you know who considers themselves poor in spirit? Watch them by the way they worship. You will see them by the way they worship. Because they realize that they didn't come with anything to bring today other than the only reason I could get you from the beginning is I'm utterly dependent on your grace. I'm utterly dependent on what you've given me. The challenge in your position is, how do you see yourself? And does it reflect in your worship? We don't come to the front because we like to come to the front and have a party. We come to the front because we realize, man, I had nothing to begin with. I have nothing today. Jesus, you are the one who is worthy. Jesus, you are the one who is lifted up. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, blessed are the super wealthy, the gifted, the talented. No, no, no. Those who are poor in spirit. This poor in spirit isn't come through self-hatred. And it doesn't come through condemnation. And it's not a false humility. Poor in spirit is not getting up here and saying, I'm such a terrible person. If you actually knew who I really was. No, no, no. Poor in spirit means when it comes to the things of the Lord, when it comes to my salvation, when it comes to eternity, I am nothing and I have nothing to bring. This is what's incredible about the latter and the way Jesus words it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Do you notice that the first beatitude is a principle of dying? Die, poor in spirit. The second one, dying, mourning. Blessed are those who mourn. I'm not talking about condemnation and and pouring ash on your head and sitting and saying, oh, woe is me, I'm a terrible person. I'm saying, do you know what? When you realize that you have nothing that you can bring to the table, you honestly, when you see sin, there's something inside of you that is broken. When sin creeps into your life, when you see others falling in sin, when you see things that aren't the kingdom, you mourn over them. You don't celebrate it when people fall into sin, you weep over them. You don't celebrate it when somebody above you gets pushed out the way so that you can come through, you weep for them. You don't treat it flippantly when the Lord speaks into your life. You are broken over it. You, you mourn when the Lord challenges you. Blessed are Why? Why? Because they will be comforted. I've realized in my life, 
in the areas that I think too much of myself and I haven't wanted to mourn over. I haven't found comfort in those areas. Some guys own a father wound like a cool tattoo. Honestly, I am hardcore. Don't can speak into my life. Every six months I have a rebellious episode. Relax. It's just because I had a bad dad. I want to tell you, for those who have had a bad father, I am so sorry. Aurelia, for those who have had parents who you've gone through terrible things, I am so sorry. But I want to tell you, if you mourn over that thing and you come to Jesus, you will be comforted. And so broken people will never be perfect. But as we go along the way, and as we deal with things before the Lord, when the Lord points out an area in your life, like Paul says, today I'm addressing this thing, but I watch myself lest I fall into the exact same temptation. And so when you see things coming out in people, when you see things coming out, your attitude is to mourn over those things, to pray for your brothers, to pray for those among to pray for when somebody goes astray. I've just, this week, it's felt like somebody kicked me in the teeth because a guy that I led to the Lord, he's walking away. And it breaks me and and I mourn over it. And as I do, it's the Lord who comes and he speaks to me and he says, and the comfort is that he's mine, Dan. He's mine. But if we don't mourn over things, we don't find comfort in them. Do you continuously go and have the same things that are being worked over and over and over? Do you find no comfort? Because my challenge to your position is then, have you mourned those things? Because then if you have, the Lord will come and bring comfort. It's not enough for us to carry our our wounds as tattoos and scars and it becomes our identity. Deal with these things. The next one is, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. The meek. Right now, when I say meek, the picture that goes through everybody's mind is not a very big, strong person. All right? They think of that very gentle guy. Why are you laughing? It's true. eh? I mean, honestly, if you had to walk up to me afterwards and be like, Dan, you know, there's something about you. And I think it's just, you are such a meek person. I would almost feel like you're challenging my masculinity. Like, what? Meek. But actually, the, the, same, the same jargon, the same word use that's used in this context is the same that is used for taming a wild horse. It's actually strength in a horse. It's got all the ability. It's got all the capability. It's got strength. And yet it is channeled and directed and submissive. And it goes where it's told to go. Who inherits the earth? The meek. Can I challenge your position on your meekness? How is your submission to authority? What does that look like? What does that look like in our lives? And I've noticed when you climb the ladder and you start with poor in spirit and you mourn, meekness comes quite quickly because you don't actually think too much of yourself. And I want to challenge us on that one. Blessed are the meek for they will. Do we want to inherit the earth? Do we want these prophetic words that have come up and been spoken? I do. 
I'm not even a part of this church. I do. I'm taking that one home. Okay, but then this is a character of the kingdom. The meek. Those who are super, the strong, talented superstars who are yet yielded and accountable and submissive. So the first three, we watch a a pattern of dying. And honestly, I feel like I, I revisit these three things all the time. And then there's this one. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And what happens is the Beatitudes change angle. It starts with dying. And then after a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, you actually see that it starts to speak about living. What happens after you've died, you start to live. And when it says this passage of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, I want to say, if any of you have a child, you'll realize this. Or actually a pet, it applies to you too. Because my daughter recently had a pet and it failed this test and it is no longer with us. Sorry. What a break. <laughs> I seem to always talk about dying animals and things and it really doesn't, people don't enjoy it. Sorry. Yeah, it's because I have a lot of animals. So like, but I have a lot of kids too. It doesn't apply. <laughs> But actually, and you'll know this, what is one of the markers for if something is healthy or not? Appetite. So the first thing you start to notice, you'll hear a mom and she'll say like, oh, my child's not well. She hasn't eaten all day. And actually, as soon as you become sick, one of the first things that goes is your appetite. So in my daughter's case, it was her rat. Sorry. Bought to a rat. Past tense. She's got another one. Those are her sisters there. Um, but the first thing is the rat lost appetite. You know what? And we laugh about it. I've watched this in believers. When they lose a hunger and a thirsting for righteousness, there's something wrong. It's sick. It needs help. We should be able to look at ourselves. I don't, I don't want to go. You know what? And I'm not saying righteousness equals attendance or righteousness equals generosity. I'm not, this is not what I'm telling you. But when I start to see the passion, the hunger, the thirsting for righteousness, when it starts to go down, you see it in everything else. Oh, I, I, I'm tired. I need a break. Breaks are good. Take them. By all means. But you start to see a zeal and a, and a passion lacking. I wanted to read you this one. Quote that I'd. It's talking about hunger and thirsting. It says, This passion is real. It's natural. Just like hunger and thirst are natural for a healthy person. You don't force a hunger and a thirst for Jesus. It's natural for those who want to follow Jesus. This passion is intense, just like hunger and thirst are. They actually can be controlling. They can determine what we do. Just like in a healthy person. This passion can be painful. This passion is a driving force behind decisions. 
When you hunger and thirst for righteousness, it's reflected in the decisions that you make with your life. Where you live, what you do, where you go, who you marry. Everything is determined by this hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because you realize that it's not a righteousness that can be attained. It's a righteousness that's given. This passion is a sign of health. Just like in a normal person. If I to challenge your position on a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. I, I love people and we get to deal with them all the time. And I can see when people have, have lost that hunger and that thirst for righteousness anymore. You know what? I'm offended and I don't care. Oh man, there's something wrong. This person is sick. They are spiritually sick. You know what? Maybe I'm seeing it wrong, but I don't care anymore. Oh, man. Sick. You know what? Even if I'm in the wrong, I'm not going to go and make right with that person. I'm just using random examples. If they're speaking to you, I, I hope they do. But when that, when that hunger and thirst for righteousness, when it's not there, when, when you know you've wronged someone, but you cannot find it in yourself to go and make right, there's something wrong. It's not healthy. When you realize that you're not actually walking in the way that the Lord has asked of you, and you don't do anything about it because you lost that, that hunger and that thirst, something else. For me, and let's be vulnerable because it's just me and no one else can relate. Do you know how I know when that hunger and that thirst for righteousness is starting, where I know that I'm, I, I need to spend time with Jesus because it comes naturally when I spend time with Jesus? It's when other things start to get a bit of an appeal for me. My wife knows this very well. Because then you will start to hear about something. Before you know it, most of you here will be interested in another hobby that I've taken up. Really? And there's this hunger and thirst inside of you. And actually, it, that hunger and thirst is supposed to drive you towards Jesus because that's the only place you can find righteousness. But actually, what we tend to do is it gets channeled into our business or our hobby or a love interest or a new ministry or a new ministry opportunity or a new thing. That thing is a problem. Tonight, the Lord wants to challenge you on that. It's your hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they will be filled. You can chase hobby, careers, professions, ministries. You can chase everything as much as you want. You will never be filled. When you hunger and thirst for Jesus, when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, I promise you, you know, you are filled. You are satisfied. There's nothing else. There is, sometimes I've seen people, they work so hard, but actually what motivates them is the holiday. Really? 
I'm going to work, 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 because I know there's a holiday coming. I'm going to say to you, I'm going to work, 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 work. I want to, Lord, I'll just, I'll go where you go. I'll be where you'll be because there's something inside of me that hunger and thirst and longs just to be with you. And now you'll see the rest of these Beatitudes. They actually operate. This now talks about living. It's dealt with dying. Dying is poor in spirit. Dying is mourning. Dying is meekness. Living is these ones. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Surely there should be a better one than that, right? Like once I've died, surely there's got to be a better thing like, blessed are the very fruitful, because they will get much more. Am I right? Because when we hear dying to live, we think, okay, maybe it's just me, sorry, a little bit performance driven. Maybe we think, okay, if I make a sacrifice now, I'm going to get something later. And then we're waiting for that something later. Am I right? And the first thing that it says is, okay, here's, are you ready? This is how you live. After you've died, this is how you lived. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful. What, What does that look like? That looks like. How are we with our spouse? How are we with our family? How are we with those around us? How are we in everything that we do? How are we when we see someone else going through a difficulty? What is our response? Do you know where I see this, a complete lack of this? And forgive me again, please. I see this when people pick up the hobby, not the pursuit of Jesus, when they pick up the pursuit of theology, it can become a pursuit all in its own thing. And as soon as I pick up this, this, I've seen people study God with no relationship. I've seen people go to study the Bible and I know that, oh Lord, this is a problem because this isn't a pursuit of righteousness. This is a pursuit of knowledge. This is a pursuit of something else. And the first thing that goes is mercy. When a little Benoni pony gets up on the stage and starts to quote the Beatitudes, the first thing that goes through your mind is like, oh, text in context, bro. Do you not understand the seven Greek words that were used before that Greek word? How many times have you read your Bible? Actually, what Jesus meant when he said that was this. And the first thing you see is there's, there's no mercy in the way they handle people. After a meeting, the, uh, a weak and fragile pastor who's poured his laugh out on stage comes in and says, what did you think of that? Listen, if I can be very honest with you, I think that your Greek pronunciation needs some work. When you go to a comm group, and there's a comm group leader who knows not much, but he loves Jesus. And he pours his life out for him. And you get to come group that week, and he's decided as a spiritual lesson to watch Lord of the Rings. And the way you handle him is like, listen, I need you to understand, we're going to take your come group away because you've started a bad thing here. And without actually understanding that actually when we, after, when, we, when we continually lay our lives out for Jesus, what should flow out of us towards one another and towards other churches and towards people around us should be mercy because we have been shown mercy. The point of death is for you to recognize what, how much to a degree you needed mercy. 
Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. Pure in heart. Unmixed. Oh man, I really want to see God. I want to, I want to seek Him. I want to, I want to hear His face. I want to hear His face. Wow. That's a blinder. I want to, I want to hear His voice. I want to know Him intimately. I want to, I want to be so close to Him. While watching the latest season of Chicago PD. Or I'm desperate to be so close to Jesus. I just, every three weeks when I spend 15 minutes with him, it's like he's not talking. It's like I'm not seeing him when I go to church once a week and read my Bible for the first time. And, and, and it's the only time I sing aloud. It's the only time I lift my hands. Why am I not seeing God? Because pure is unmixed. It's pure. It's like we allow so much mixing of our lives with this world. I'm guilty of this. We allow so much meshing of it to come together. We tolerate it. Because we deceive ourselves into thinking God is tolerant, but He's not. He's patient. It's different. And it's like there's this, this part of us that is okay with the mixed combination, but then we get frustrated when we don't see God. I want to say to you, if you want to see God, give your heart, your desire, that heart, pure of heart that it's using. Mark will be impressed with this. The actual word used refers to your desire. Those who have a a single, unmixed, unadulterated, untainted desire for God, you'll see Him. That means sometimes at 8 o'clock when Survivor comes up on TV. Ah, oh, not Survivor. Please, Dan, pick something else. Come on. Love that show. There's Christians on there, man. Come on. Can'ts, doesn't it? Man, I really want to see God. I want to watch a Francis Chan video. I love Francis Chan. I think he's amazing. So we start. Just starts to happen. And then the complaints come out. I don't see God. It's because he's looking for people who have a pure, separated desire. This is the living part, by the way. Remember, this is the part we're all getting excited for. Dying to live. Yes, live. Car, house, money, fame, fortune, stage, preaching. No, no, no. Mercy. Purity. Oh, I, I don't know if I want to do that anymore. Don't worry, it gets good, I promise. Here it comes. Blessed are the peacemakers. What? This is living. We're finally getting to works. If it was up to us, we would have that at the beginning of the list. We love to show our works. Jesus has got it right up there. There's so much that you have to get to before you get to the works side of things. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who get involved with helping the poor and get get involved with reaching into families and dealing with marriages and those who pour out their lives. What's the privilege? For they will be called sons of God. Well, listen. Is there not anything more than that? 
Like it's lucky to be called the son of God, but like, can I get a special street address named after me in heaven or? It's like, it's, if I'm very honest with you, to be called the son of God is incredible, but it means it's what other people's perceptions are. And I've learned in my life that other people's perceptions don't count all that much to me. There is a perspective that I worry about. And it's at the end of my life, I always say to my wife, my favorite scripture in the Bible is not the one that everyone else likes. But I live my life because at the end, maybe it's not far away. Maybe it's just around the corner. Maybe it's very far away. But at the end, the only perspective I want to hear is, well done, my good and faithful servant. And it's strange. It's like the smallest reward here is for what we put the most importance on. Blessed are the peacemakers. It speaks about those who go about working for peace. Those amazing worship leaders, those amazing preachers, those amazing ministries. Those are, it's great. And it'll make people point you to and say, they're a son of God. And that's incredible. But actually, I'd rather be shown mercy if I'm honest. And mercy is a little bit dirtier. Because I have to show mercy. Milani, you promised me you would be cheerleading and you are so quiet. It's not helping. <laughs> you were supposed to be saying, yes, Lord, we pa- paid you for this. Come on. Blessed are the encouragers for they will get, I don't know, trying to help me. Okay, okay, now That was lame. My bad. So now we're getting to the good ones. Because you've got to admit, if you've listened to Andrew, at some point in your life, he's made persecution sound like something you want. Am I right? (laughs) Honestly, I think there's a part of every one of us that's like, oh, I can't wait to go to jail. (laughs) Andrew makes it sound like it's going to be incredible. So here's the next part of living. We, we've spoken about dying. We've spoken about living is showing mercy. Living is being a peacemaker. Living is blessed are those who are persecuted. It's living. Hey? But wait, there's a very significant line here. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It scares me to look at the church. And what happens is, when something comes, and let's say somebody's theology starts to go wayward in a public setting. I'm not, I'm not using an example. I'm making one up as a guy. And that man gets challenged for it. Hey, listen, what about this thing? Actually, whoa. Now I'm being persecuted. I've seen people that they, they take discipline as persecution. And so they fortify their position. It's actually like, no, 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 no. The Lord wants to deal with you in this situation. Do you see that this is a problem in your life? You know what? It shows me that I'm right and you're wrong because you're persecuting me. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Really? No, blessed are those who are persecuted... Because of righteousness. I want to say 
Oh, I don't want to say that because the Lord will hold me to it. If I have to die a gruesome, gory death, if I have to be imprisoned, I want it to be for the right reason. I want it to be because of righteousness. I want it to be because of the good news, the gospel. Righteousness is talking about Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of Jesus. Not because of their stance on being a vegan. Or their stance on breastfeeding. Really? We think those are bad topics. I'm telling you, there are people willing to die for that stuff. Vaccinations. Parenting techniques. Really? Don't be persecuted because of those things. Be persecuted because of Jesus. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the father, the prophets who were before you. Blessed are you when people insult you. We spoke about a fear of man tonight. Some of us that are at our position over the ball, the most important thing. When it comes to a fear of man, I'm not willing to take a hit for what's very important to me. Blessed are you when people persecute you and insult you for sticking to the, to, to the things that Jesus has taught and commanded and the life, the radical lives that we are called to lead. There's this guy in our community, he's quite a, not community being home group because that's a Josh Jen specific thing, community being area where we live. There's this guy who lives in Benoni, him and his family. And everybody knows they're Christian, and they, they have quite a public influence. They, they, they're like kind of celebrities. And everyone knows that they're Christian. And this guy, because of the job and those things, hasn't really settled into a church yet. And so every now and then he rocks up at our church. And I'll be honest with you, those Sundays when that guy rocks up, you think to yourself, man, he could impact so many people. You think to yourself, oh man, imagine what... Actually, Daniel, you're just copping out. Sometimes those are the Sundays when there's that little bit of fear of man that creeps up inside of you. And I've known... And so the example was actually Milani was preaching in our church this week. So this is confession time. So Milani preaches in our church. And she hits it out the park as usual. And then she comes up to me afterwards. And I know that this guy's problem is going to be other people because he doesn't want to be seen as a celebrity. So, so afterwards, Milani comes to me for the response, and she says, I feel like people should break into groups and process what the Lord has done inside of them. And the first thing that goes through my head is like, if we do that, we'll lose that guy. Yo, I'm a bad oak, I'm sorry. That's the first thing that goes through my head. 
And immediately there's another part of me that says, uh-uh, this is the Lord. And so I did the amazing thing. I was like, gosh, Kent. <laughs> it's actually JT. It's actually JT. I was like, Milani, just bounce that off JT. I'm worshiping. <laughs> if this goes south, I don't want to be responsible. <laughs> and it's incredible because Milani gets up and she shares and she says, hey, guys. And it was actually quite a big deal thing. It was actually like being accountable, like opening up our lives. And as soon as she does that, they get up and they head for the back door and they're out. And my heart goes, oh. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I know what's going to be. We're that church because we have that reputation. We're that church in the community. Those guys are radical. They're zealots. They're this, they're that, they're the next thing. And in that moment, I realized, oh, man, I think that's a problem thing for me there. And I mean, I know none of you would ever struggle with anything like that. Because I was worried about being called, because maybe they're going to go into all their circle of other people and they're going to tell them that those are the guys at the church where you have to stand together and talk about your bad things that you did during the week. They're like an Amy. And I'm thinking of, this is what they're going to think about our church. and This is what they're going to tell other people about our church. And then, and that's not true because we're actually very cool. Very cool. And this is what's going through my head. And then I'm thinking to myself, no, what did come out? Uh... And immediately in my heart, I was challenged. That's not living. Living is when the Lord asks us to be a little bit radical, a little bit wild. The Lord asks us to do these type of things. When, he, when people persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil about you or they even insult you. Happy clappies. I'm not afraid of that. I'm so glad. Listen, you, you guys, I wanna, I'm going to teach you something because you don't understand it because you're in Josh Jen. Do you understand that the amount of people that joined this church tonight is bigger than our church? Really? Okay, well, just, do you understand the crowd that comes up here and stands on the platform? And I'm not knocking you. I'm new members. That's the life of God. It's incredible. But I want to be honest with you. They were so sheepish and shy, and I get it. There's a lot of people here. But I hope in the coming months, as we start to be integrated into the family, and as we start to, that actually, this crowd need to always start looking like this crowd, not the other way around. And I loved Josh Jen's response to the visitors, was these loud, booming voices of getting excited because people are joining us. Because this church, you will get called funny things. I'll be honest with you. I've stopped saying we, we, we work with Josh Jen. I'm like, well. <laughs> and Andrew Silly, don't say that. You say you know Wilma Ray. That gives you a lot of credibility. <laughs> we have this guy named Wilma Ray. It's like, yo, now we're in. We're in. We've heard of Will. You laugh, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. But you know what? As a church, you will have those reputations. There will be those things said about you. There will be those insults, those accusations. But do you know what the Bible would say? Blessed are you when you're persecuted for this stuff. 
Oh man, they're a cult. They hold each other accountable. Like it's in the Bible for crying out loud. I mean, we'd never want to do that. They will ask you how your finances are. It's true. Yeah, listen, you can speak a lot about my finances. There are none. But what happens when people say, and I'm coming into land, which we know I'm from Benoni, so it's a quick landing. Handbrake turn, drift in the parking lot, one time. Rejoice and be glad. What do you do when you start, you die, you start with dying. There's poor in spirit, there's mourning, there's all of these things. There's, there's a lot of self-assessment and laying my life down and, and, and coming before the Lord. And then as I start to live, it's not always glamorous like I thought it was. And then it says this, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. And I heard someone say this at our ladies meeting, which was so profound for me. Do you know that we've stopped preaching about heaven like it's a good enough reward? Yes, I was at a ladies meeting. When you hunger and thirst, you'll even go to ladies' meetings if you're a guy. We stop preaching heaven like it's a big enough reward for people to give their lives for. Listen, heaven is eternity close to Jesus. It's enough of a reward. And then on top of that, great is your reward in heaven. It's like, what? That's how the banana ponies feel tonight. We thought it was just a reward that we got to come. And then they're like, hey, we actually, you could say something. What? It's really, it's, it's like, it's not just that you get to get into heaven. It's that in heaven, there's even going to be a reward for you. From the same way they persecuted you, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It means you're in good company when you're being persecuted. This is the passage I want to close with, and I'll bring this to a response, is that why? Why would we do this? Why would we live these lives that are blessed are the poor in spirit? Blessed are those who mourn. Why would we die to live? And the very next passage, Jesus says this. Why? Because you are the salt of the earth. Josh Jen, why as a church is it so important for you to give up your lives, to die, to live with Jesus? Because you are the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled. Andrew said something to us, I think it was like in our second year of being a part of 412, which was a little bit scary for me. He said, if what we're doing ever stops being what the Lord is doing, I'm asking you to leave. What good is salt if it's lost its saltiness? What good is a people who live with dying to live, but they no longer are willing to die? You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. That harvest, it's because you are a town on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds 
and glorify your Father in heaven. And so I just wanted to, not for the sake of a response, but I wanted to ask us tonight, I wanted to challenge your position. And the last funny story kind of that I have is that we have a pig, literally, lives in our garden. We have a pet pig. His name's Harvey. And he's amazing. He's like this big. And he's very, very fluffy. And one of the things, fluffy, literally, you're going to have to come see now. One of the things about Harvey, this pig, unlike a dog, he started getting a little bit dominating. So we have sheep dogs. And, and what this pig started to do is that he started challenging everybody in the house for position. He wanted to find out where he stands. No jokes. So we had a problem because when the domestic lady came and she was working, she went outside and the pig would knock her over every single time. The children, he started bumping them off their feet. And what would happen is you can call him and he'll come to you and you'll lie and you'll roll over because in a, with a dog, when they submit, they roll over. But with the pig, what happens is it's actually as soon as you push him, then he wants to hold his position. Does it now? It's now you just made this a fight. And so, even if you're loving him one second and then you nudge him backwards, he won't take a step backwards. Because if he goes one step backwards, it means you're in control. And so that pig literally stands and contests that ground. And I want to say, not that you're a pig. <laughs> How can you find that one thing out of everything I just said? I want to say for some of us in the church, I think these principles, this thing of dying to live, this thing of willing to give up my life, this thing of willing to, to, to live, being showing mercy in the way that I live out my life, actually, when you get challenged on it, is it just like, ah, oh, I yield? Well, actually, is there something inside of you that's got a little bit of fight? That actually, I want to fight to keep the main thing, the main thing in my life. I want to fight to make sure that these are not just things that we speak about, but things that we live at. And so I want to ask you tonight, by challenging your position, would we respond to the Lord as a church? Maybe we can stand because I think space is limited. But if there's, maybe there's one point out of all of these things where actually the Lord's challenged your position tonight. How do you see yourself as poor in spirit? How do you see yourself as mourning? How do you see yourself in all of these things? Because tonight the Lord is looking for a people. He's looking for a church. He's, he's calling out to us. He's saying, the harvest is ready, but it is so important what you take with you. Greg, I don't know where you are anymore. There is. And so I want to ask if you can stand with me, if there's something inside of you that wants to respond to these things on a, on a position. Maybe one of the things that I was feeling very strongly, and uh, you, there's a lot of people so you can hide, but it's between you and the Lord. It was this thing on meekness. And actually, I felt like a warning in terms of unsubmission. And I felt like the Lord said to me that actually, there are young men. So that's a bit awkward because you're singled out now. But there are young men who've lost the value of meekness. Strength that is controlled that is tame, and that has use. Your identity isn't just to be wild. 
It's to, to be, for a horse, it's no good if the wild horse can run fast. It's important how far can it carry its master. That's the true reflection of strength. And for some of us, unsubmission is going to be an issue that will actually completely derail you. So I want to pray with us. Father, this is your bride for your son, Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you come right now and just those areas where we need to repent, would, we, would you highlight them in our hearts so we can confess them to you right now? Lord, where we have overlooked some of these or we've tried to go for focus on living and not dying, or Lord, where we've got it wrong, we want to repent. Jesus, would you forgive me? Would you extend your mercy, your grace? I just feel specifically for those that have lost the hunger and the thirst. Holy Spirit, would you give us that that hunger and thirst for righteousness? That that driven passion that, that changes the way we make decisions, the way we say things, the way we live our life, the way we do anything. Lord, I want to pray for those in worship who are struggling with condemnation. Father, would you show them that it's the poor in spirit who get the kingdom. That it's okay if you don't have much to bring as long as you receive what Jesus brought. Lord, I pray for those that are carrying wounds and scars and brokenness because they haven't been able to mourn over those things. Lord, would you break their hearts? Come and, come and break us, Lord Jesus, that we can mourn, but so that can we, we can be comforted. And then I felt when I spoke about the pure, the unmixed, I felt some of us, there's such a concoction in the cup, we don't actually know how to separate it anymore. And I felt like the Lord saying, He just wants wants you to throw that whole thing out and allow Him to pour in again. That He'll fill you up again. And don't mix it with anything. Lord, would you help us to to pour out where we've mixed and haven't been pure? Lord, we want to repent for those things. 
that as we get rid of it, that you would fill us up again. That the only reason we can have a pure heart is because of you, Jesus, in the first place. And Lord, I want to ask, I know that there are situations, I know that there are things where we go through where some of us are being persecuted, where some of us are being insulted, where some of us are being ridiculed. And Lord Jesus, I pray that tonight that we just see your smile. That you wouldn't take the trial away, that you wouldn't remove them from the situation, but they would just see your smile and it would give them the endurance to press on. Lord, that those who are going through these things because of righteousness, Lord, that they would know that they're in good company. We thank you for this, Lord Jesus.